this week's study, we're going to start a new book this uh, this time here. And it'll be the book of Jeremiah. So we'll be on Jeremiah chapter 1 and we'll give it the title, I Have Chosen You. Now, Jeremiah was an, an interesting prophet. He was uh, His name actually means Jeremiah, the one whom God launches forth. Okay, Jeremiah was the kind of guy that, um, you know, he was out there telling all the leaders and the rulers the things they didn't want to hear. He was saying, thus saith the Lord, this is what's going to happen to, to you if you do not stop doing this and that. And of course, nobody liked this guy. Nobody liked Jeremiah. Um, this, this book is a long book. Unfortunately, it'll take us about a year to get through it. So just get ready for that. But there's a lot of stuff in this book. There are 52 chapters. And, you know, there's 50... How many weeks there are? 50, 52 weeks, yeah. I always keep, I get mixed up 56, 52, but it's 52 weeks. So yeah, it'll take us about a year to get through this. Um, but there are so many different uh, prophecies in here in parallel. So it, it won't even feel like we're in the same book because there'll be so many new things introduced uh, each time. Uh, many things that are still yet prophetic to us. Uh, you know, this it, it's interesting that uh, I haven't ever taught this book yet, Jeremiah. But it was the first book that I had ever really, that it was actually the first book of the Bible. I saw an old man, old pastor teaching this on TV and he was going through this book and I think he was somewhere around Jeremiah 23. You'll know what I'm talking about when we get there. It was like some of the first moments in my life that I actually heard somebody teaching the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And I remember him slamming his fist down, you know, as he's reading some of these scriptures. And I was like, yes, yes, this is, ah, oh. you know, because I was like, I got so tired of sitting in church, listening to these boring, soft, effeminate windbags. And then I saw this guy teaching this book. And I was like, I want to be, I, I really want to be a Christian now. I want to figure this stuff out. Whereas before it was like, oh man, you got to go to church, you know, I got to be bored and keep looking at the time. But, 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 uh, so it was, it was really, uh, I op this book was really eye opening for me. Um, and it really got my attention to, you know, it really got my attention as far as, uh, how, you know, the seriousness of God's word in, times like we're living in right now, especially when we're living in a time when the people are in rebellion, the people don't want to listen to God's uh, word, they don't want to follow any of his commandments. And that's what Jer Jeremiah came on the scene during the time when, the, when, the, when God's people were uh, in rebellion. And so uh, it'll be fascinating. All right, without uh, any more rambling on, I'll just get reading here. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Okay. Um, now, Jeremiah, he was of the priests here. Um, he was part of that priest class. Verse 2, it says, To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It also came the word of God to Jeremiah. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto, the, now check this out, unto 
the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Now, we just got done reading the book of Lamentations, and it was, uh, no doubt it was Jeremiah, the prophet, looking back at the destruction of his nation, and he was lamenting, he was crying and weeping and mourning. Um, so basically, all, this, the, all these uh, kings that were mentioned that coincided with Jeremiah's uh, uh, prophetic years, uh, it basically boils down to um, that Jeremiah uh, prophesied for about 40 years before the destruction of Jerusalem. Which makes sense because 40 is the number of probation. And if God used Jeremiah as the prophet to warn the people that this was coming, um, 40 years would be a perfect amount of time uh, to do that. And then when that 40, 40th year ended or roundabout, that's when the destruction of Jerusalem happened. So, so Jeremiah was that guy in the hot seat. I mean, he was there right before and when all of this went down. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Now, now this is very interesting. Verse 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now think about this. Jer God was talking to Jeremiah directly here, and he says, hey, before you were even uh, being formed in your mother's belly, I already chose you for this job. Um, now, there are a lot of, uh, you know, different things that come into play here. Some people believe that uh, in pre-existence, as though there was a world age before this one, and uh, there was a, another sa satanic rebellion and that maybe Jeremiah sided with, uh, sided with God then and therefore God could choose him now. That's a possibility. Um, it's also a possibility that God just knew Jeremiah. He already foreknew what Jeremiah's destiny was. So either way, I, I kind of leave that open-ended. Um, but, uh, you know, just as God chose Jeremiah and launched him forth, I believe God chooses people today. They're called the elect. Uh, actually, Jesus talks about it. Um, they're called the elect, and uh, they've been chosen to be witnesses of the truth, to proclaim the truth. And um, a good, you know, if you're really hungry and you're into the Bible and you want to know the truth and you've, You've kind of been like that for a while, or all of a, you know, you just know there's something you're supposed to be doing. There's, uh, there's a good chance that you might be kind of like Jeremiah in the sense that God chose you even before you were born to do what you're doing. Um, some people may describe it as, I don't really have a choice. I mean, I couldn't not follow God. I'd be very uncomfortable. I just know that I have to be doing this, you know. Um, Anyways, so Jeremiah had no choice. That's who he was. Verse 6, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Okay? Now, Jeremiah was a very young man at this time, and God just got done saying, Hey, I chose you before you were even born. And he says, But, but God, I... I I, I'm so young, I, I can't, I can't, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I don't know how to talk like all these other 
uh, priests and religious leaders can. I'm just a, like a ch- child. How can I do this? Um, and, and, and you know, that's, I think that's almost a good mark of a true servant of God in many cases because uh, there are scriptures in the, in the New Testament, I think as well as the Old, uh, where God said that he chose the uh, uh, foolish things of this world to confound the wise. You know, so, so people would know that it was not Jeremiah. They'd look at Jeremiah and say, well, who's Jeremiah? I never, never heard him talk in front of a bunch of people before. I mean, he's, uh, he's not one of our hand-selected priests that we have determined is going to make it, you know, way up there. Um, so it, it, what that does is it proves that it is the work of God and not the work of man. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I believe. Um, uh, because, you know, most of your really, really famous so-called religious leaders today, you know, they have all these doctorate degrees and all these credentials behind their name. And many of them are leading people totally astray. They're leading people totally astray. Um, So just because you think, who am I? That doesn't mean God can't use you to do mighty things because Jeremiah thought that way back here, and you're going to see what God is going to use him for. Uh, but the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Okay? Fascinating. So God says, hey, I don't want to hear that. You know, this, this is actually a statement that God expects us to have faith. If, he's, if you know he's chosen you and you can just feel it or you just there's no doubt in your mind, um, then who cares how experienced you are or how old you are or, or how many credentials you have. Just go and speak the word of God faithfully. Um, and uh, God will take care of the rest. That's all he said. He says, you just go where I tell you and you tell the people what I command you. It's all you got to do. Now, we're, you know, that's really what we try to do in this ministry. Um, I don't proclaim to be an eloquent orator or some great speaker, but what we're trying to do here is go through, read the Bible, and expound it the best we can in a way that people can understand what it says. I mean, so basically we're just reading the Bible, reading it and explaining it. That's all we're really supposed to do anyways. I don't have to sit up here and, uh, you know, speak, you know, draw all these, uh, you know, try to design something to get your feelings involved, you know, and uh, craft this perfect message to touch everybody's heart, you know. Uh, and that's what a lot of pastors do. They sit there and they, they have these checklists. I know because I've been through some of the formal educa- uh, education for this, and they've got checklists. Am I, am I uh, connecting with the people that learn by seeing? Am I connecting to the people that learn by hearing? You know, I'm not saying all those things are bad. What I'm saying is they really spend a lot of time uh, trying to craft this perfect message, and they lose focus of the, of the Word of God in doing so many times. Um, Here we go. I love this. Verse 8. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Now, now think about that. Do we ever get weird looks from people because we study the Bible and they know where we stand? Do you ever feel like people are looking at you funny? Like, oh man, here's this quack again, you know, or whatever. Um, God says, don't be afraid of their faces. Uh, um, Now check this out. 
Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Okay? Again, God's words. Not fancy, eloquent orator words, but my words. Verse 10, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. Now think about what was just said there. Jeremiah says, I'm just a boy. I don't know how to do this. Why did you choose me? And now God's turning around and saying, I've set you over all the nations, all over the kingdoms, and you're going to root them up. You're going to pull them down. You're going to destroy them. And then you're going to plant new ones. Think about that. It's, it's just... In other words, Jeremiah, Jeremiah was, uh, you know, you think about all the kings, even the king of Babylon himself. Jeremiah, God says, you're above these kings. You're above these rulers because I'm with you. Verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. A rod of an almond tree. Now, 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 rod of an almond tree. Now, almond trees are known to be those uh, that type of tree that blossoms first before other trees. And um, Jeremiah was going to be that, you know, be a symbol of that kind of person. You know, um, think about, you know, the first fruits, those that partic participate in the first resurrection. I think there's a connection here. You know, those people that God. Those people that God has chosen, they will blossom first uh, before other people. They will, uh, they will become awakened to the truth. Verse 12, Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Okay? So in other words, he's, saying, he's, use, he's also using this almond branch to say, My word's going to come fast. It's going to blossom. It's going to be here. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, What seest thou? And I said, I see a seething pot, and the face thereof is toward the north. Now this pot here, this seething pot, is a boiling hot pot. So he sees this almond tree, and then he sees a boiling pot. Anybody want to guess what the boiling pot would be used for? Judgment. Okay, judgment. 14, then the Lord said unto me, out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. Okay. For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come and they shall set everyone his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem and against the walls thereof round about and against all of the cities of Judah. So this boiling pot no doubt represented uh, the Babylonians and others that uh, would be coming to conquer, uh, primarily the Babylonians who would be coming to conquer Jerusalem. He's saying they're going to actually set their thrones up at the gates of Jerusalem. Um, and think about this. You know, we, we, we look at America and we think, well, it'll never be destroyed and uh, nothing could ever happen. I'm not saying that it is. It is going to get destroyed necessarily, but it's not out of the realm of 
possibility if we continue to rebel against God. We know what we know what God has done to His own people in the past for their rebellion, um, and we know that He can do it again if He if He feels it necessary. And so, <clears throat> this is a symbol of the enemies entering into the gates of the nation. Verse 16, And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods and have worshipped the works of their own hands. Oh, but Americans don't worship false gods anymore. They don't, you know, it's not, you know, pagan society like, you know, like back in these days. Have you ever watched a halftime Super Bowl celebration? I mean, those were outright, some of the ones that we've had in the recent years have been outright pagan, devil, demon worship ceremonies performed uh, for millions, for millions of Americans. Um, you look at the, sim, you know, uh, uh, you look at the symbol, was it, was Taylor Swift, did she do a Super Bowl one? Was that the one with the snakes? No. I know there's been a number of them that uh, we've commented on in the past. But the pop music industry. Katy Perry. Yeah, the pop music industry, huge. It's, it's, it's paganism, okay? What do these people worship? They worship the super pop stars. They, they, worship the, uh, uh, they worship sex. They worship materialism. They wor- all, you know, it's all the same stuff. It's paganism. Pop music, for the most part, is, is paganism. And that's where people uh, tend to worship these days. Verse 17, thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise. And that's not the only thing. I'm not saying pop music's the only, uh, there's all kinds of paganism worked in, pagan worship worked into America, even in churches that claim to be Christian. Even in churches that claim to be Christian. Thou therefore, we just talked about it, what the Pope the uh, the other week just you know, um, gave an affirmation to uh, the homosexual lifestyle. Just said they're loving people, they're children of God, even though they're homosexuals. It doesn't matter. I mean, think about that. Thou therefore gird up thy loins. Now, if we want to know what a true servant of God looks like, it's not a feminine uh, willy boy. It's not a feminine willy boy or a feminine so-and-so that we often see in our evangelical funhouses these days. It's people like this. Now check this out. Thou therefore gird up thy loins. What, do you, what, does he gird up, what does it mean to gird up your loins? Well, back in the day, the men actually, believe it or not, they wore skirts, okay? They weren't girly, pretty skirts, you know, and that kind of skirts. But they were like skirts. That means they tie it up so that it's not impeding their running motion. Basically, you tie it up and you're getting ready so you can be uh, mobile, uh, mobile, athletic, and ready for battle. Okay? Ready for battle. Gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto all them that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces. Now check this out. Lest I confound thee before them. That's a warning to us. And that sometimes can be hard. When, sometimes when we stand up for the truth, we get these awkward looks. People ridicule us or mock us. And sometimes you can feel it's a demonic mocking. And God says, I don't, that's not the time that you're supposed to get scared. Because if you get scared before them, I'm going to really embarrass you. Okay? God's going to see to it that we really get embarrassed. 
Um, so we've got to, in other words, we've got to stand our ground, okay? Verse 18, for behold, I have made thee this day a wimp and a weakling that just preaches love every day. No? <laughs> okay. No. For behold, I have made thee this day a defense city and an iron pillar and, a bra and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. Jeremiah was against everybody. So what do you think they called him back then? Oh, bigot, hater. We don't like that guy. Everybody, all the... All these uh, people in the establishment, the priests and all the people, none of these guys liked Jeremiah. Why? Because he exposed them for being frauds. He exposed them for being uh, unrighteous, wicked rulers. Okay? That's the kind of, you know, think about us. Oh, but, but Pastor Ben, you shouldn't talk against religious leaders. I mean, these people, you know, they're very well respected in the community and all that. Do you think Jeremiah was to care about that? No, God says, you're, you're like a defense city, an iron pillar. Like this, like Jeremiah is like this, you know, like this, uh, like a warrior, in other words. He's like a warrior who's fighting against everybody. It was like himself against the world, okay? Himself against the world. Yeah, you know, oftentimes when we make a stand upon God's word, that's what it feels like, us against the world. Um, and it should feel like that. If it doesn't feel like that, you're probably not serving God, especially in a time like this. Because uh, I know sometimes we question ourselves, am I going mad? Why, why does it sometimes feel like I'm the only one that believes this? Is it me? Am I the problem? And all these other people would look at you and say, yes, I think you need counseling. Uh, I think you need to go to a re-education camp and learn tolerance and, and virtues like that. <laughs> you know. But no, we're, this is how it's supposed to be. This is normal if you're a biblical Christian. Verse 19, And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. They're all going to fight against you, Jeremiah, but they're not going to prevail over you because I am with you and I will deliver you from their hand. Um, and that is the end of that chapter. Now you can see why, as a young man, when I was uh, 18 years old, now you can see why this was so appealing to me. Because uh, as an 18-year-old boy, and I, I kind of still feel like that as well, but I, uh, <laughs> I, like the, uh, I just like this mentality. I guess it's because I hate evil so much. And this seems so real, and I hated the, f the fake stuff seemed like I was in one of those uh, cartoons and the evil person was trying to give me a piece of candy to deceive me, you know, and, and, uh, or something like that. But... I, I like I, I just like this book. I love it. I love I love the mission that Jeremiah was given, um, and uh, it's going to get pretty exciting from here on out. Does anybody have any questions or comments? I do like whether you did it on purpose or not, but um, that you started with lamentations, which is like you said, or when you started, is the con kind of the conclusion, right, of Jeremiah's not yeah his life, but his. His purpose up to that point, and uh, and now, Jared, now we're going back to the beginning, kind of seeing how it all culminated, right? Is that kind of 
Yeah, yeah, that's kind of, so we, I kind of wanted to get to the end of Lamentations right away because I, I feel like we're in this time in our nation's history where the people need to know what could happen to our country. And now, so that was, Lamentations is like the end of the book of Jeremiah, really. It's like an addition to that. But then we can go back and read about Jeremiah and, found out, and find out all of the things that happened leading up to that. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. I'm also so. uh, just trying to keep things straight again. In Lamentations, it was Israel that fell? Uh, Judah. Okay. Judah. Yep, Judah. So Israel, what's Israel doing during these times? Is, even a, is it existing? Uh, they were in, in Assyrian captivity right now. So they existed, but they were slaves, you know, far removed from... Being a nation, being a, an official nation at this time. So yeah, this is focused entirely on uh, Judah and Jerusalem. But but there are actually a lot of prophecies in Jeremiah that still include Israel. So even though they were the ten tribes were taken into Assyrian captivity, God was not done with them. They weren't like, oh, I you know I sent you into Assyrian captivity. You're done being a nation, and you'll never be a nation again. Um, he didn't do that. So there still was some, there still are uh, prophecies related to them. And um, yeah, we'll get into those when we get there. But I guess that's just my lack of Old Testament knowledge. I just always pictured Israel as the God's people, you know, and really I guess it was Israel and Judah, right? Yeah. Yep, Israel and, the yep, the two kingdoms. And, and that's, the reason why we often think like that is because uh, every sing- basically every single church always just clumps all of the Israelites into the kingdom of Judah. Right. And they think, well, the chosen people are the Jews. But then they don't even... Un- because they didn't know the Old Testament, a lot of people don't know the Old Testament history of the kingdom being divided into two and, the, and then, you know, uh, the Israelites, the, the kingdom of Israel being taken into captivity before the kingdom of Judah... Um, they often just clump them all together, all the tribes into the one tribe of Judah, which is um, just not accurate. No, it really kind of changes a little bit my perspective on things. I didn't. I, I feel like kind of an idiot for not realizing that. But <laughs> well, in the book, studying the Bible, right? right? No, that, no. I mean, it it, it can be, uh, um, you know, a, you know, one of those topics that's hard to kind of sift through, but. Um, in the book of Ezekiel, it talks about a time when God's going to reunite the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah into one stick. And so right now, everybody's just still, they're looking at the, the, the Jews and the modern-day Israeli nation, thinking that that's all of God's chosen people, which we know there are a lot of imposters there and things like that. But even if they were solidly all true children of Judah, um, they they don't understand that at some time there's this whole other stick that has to join with them and they're part of that chosen nation as well. In fact, a bigger part probably even. A bigger kingdom. Um, more tribes anyways. You know, you got ten tribes and then you basically Judah, the kingdom of Judah was basically the tribe of Judah and Benjamin into one. So you basically have ten plus two. And Benjamin was uh, the, the Levites were spread among oh, both 
kingdoms of Judah and Israel. Yep. So actually, well, yeah, 10 plus 2, because that's because of uh, Joseph being uh, his two sons, counting as a, uh, tribes of Israel as well, Ephraim and Manasseh. So... Um, yeah. Any other questions or comments? Well, I just had a comment. You get a lot of flack for, um, you know, speaking out against other churches in the area. People are like, oh, we're all Christians. We shouldn't have any contention amongst us. But obviously here, God told Jeremiah to go. And in verse 18, it says to go against the princes, against the priests thereof, the people. So he specifically sent them to speak out and correct those priests. You know, so if he's mm. calling him to do it, and if we you see, you know, wrongdoings or failures or misleading, you know, it just makes me feel a little bit more at ease. You're okay with me now? Well, it's, just, <laughs> it's obviously embarrassing when you're in the community and you see people and you're just like, hide because you don't want them to know who you are. But, oh, you know. There's that wife of that guy that... <laughs> that talks against me. Talks against my husband. <laughs> ah, it's biblical. Yeah. Um, there was another point that actually, now that you brought up that comment and I forgot to mention it yeah, Jeremiah wasn't just, a, uh, he wasn't just only focused on religion. Like a lot of churches are today. His mission was to the priests, the princes, the political. So he addressed both the political and the religious, uh, community with the Word of God. And that's why we do current events messages with politics. We're addressing them. And we, we, basically, we try, uh, we try to address everything in life with the Bible, not just, oh, we're only going to, you know, we don't get involved in politics. Uh, our kingdom is not of this world. And, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, so, yeah. The, the, what, was, what were the categories there? There was the princes... The kings, kings of Judah against the princes thereof, against Politics. the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. Yep, that's so your neighbors. That's what we try to do, and you know that's you cannot help but do that when you're actually reading the whole Bible. It's just natural. You don't have to plan it. Oh, I'm, today I think I'm going to talk, uh, you know, against this group today. It just comes out in the Bible. You know, um, anything else? Lucy, you got anything? No. no. I was just thinking uh, when you were talking about the resurrection of the first fruits. Yeah. Who, who is that referring to? Uh, it's in Revelation. Well, I would say it's the overcomers. But there is a debate on if it's, if it's narrowed down to the 144,000 or if it's just any and all people that overcome. Um. I don't really have a solid answer on that. I'm still working on that. But but I, I do know, I think the a good case could be made that it probably is the 144,000 because in the book of Revelation, it says that they, uh, was it Revelation 14? It says that they will, they are the lamb's wife, I think it was, or the bride of Christ. Um, and they were without fault before the throne and... They could be with him when nobody else could be that close, that intimate, um, because they were holy and pure and and so forth. But uh, 
That definitely, the 144,000 in the book of Revelation definitely seems to be the most favored group in the Bible. You know, besides maybe you got the 12 apostles and the 12 patriarchs and, and, and that kind of, but, but next in line, it seems to me, it would be the 24 elders, which are probably the apostles and the patriarchs, and then the 144,000. And then from there, any, all the converts, other converts. So, and likely, the, the, likely we're talking about how Jeremiah was chosen before he was um, in his mother's womb. Um, I think the, well, we know the 12 apostles were. Jesus just walked up to them and said, follow me. So they were, they were chosen, obviously. God already knew who he was going to pick. It wasn't like he sat there and was watching people. Jesus was watching people and said, I think he's got what it takes. I'm going to pick him. You know, it's like he knew, already knew who was going to follow him. So I think that, in other words, what I'm saying is I think the 24 elders and the 144,000, that is your, those are your elect primarily. Those chosen before the foundation of the world, in addition to the prophets. Um, that's about what I can gather based off of what I've studied thus far. Isn't it also the option that 144,000 isn't a literal number? Yeah, that, that could be. It could be more of a symbolic number because of the 12 times 12. It's 144. Um, the also, in the city of New Jerusalem, the walls are 144 cubits high. So, it's a, yeah, it could just be a symbolic number of governmental perfection, because 12 is the number of perfect government. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's an exact number or not. But, I mean, it does kind of seem like it's an actual number in some instances, because it talks about sealing 12,000 from each tribe. And that's when you seal people. When, you, when an angel comes out and he's going to, he says, stop, wait till I seal them. It seems like that's a specific number, but I don't know. But that's just talking about elect, right? not, not yeah. all people that make it to heaven. Yep. Because <clears throat> it, yeah, in that same chapter, Revelation 7, when the 144,000 are sealed, it does talk about great numbers that nobody could number standing before the throne of God. And they were those that came out of great tribulation and washed their robes and they were made white. So they were converts to Christ and they were washed and purified, but they weren't what you would consider the first fruits. Um, what exactly that means, I don't know. Maybe they, they fell away for a while and then they uh, came back. I don't, I don't really know. Or they just weren't chosen from, from, before, you know, from the time before they were even born. Um, yep. I definitely believe that you know, there's, there's Calvinism out there. They believe that all of those that are saved is already predetermined. And uh, I don't believe that. I, what I believe is there are two categories of saved people. There are the elect that God knows are going to be saved because he's going to use them for, for his service, you know, like Jeremiah. And then there are those on free will, you know, that have a choice to either, serve, either uh, believe in Christ and, you know, love God or not. Um, so I don't know. 
But like Paul, Paul's another one. He didn't have a choice. I mean, his natural free will was to actually persecute and kill Christians. And then, you know, then Christ came to him and struck him down and forced him to convert, really. I mean, right. he, he, he converted because, you know, it did touch his heart, obviously. He felt so guilty. And, and that's probably what drove him to uh, minister, you know, around that whole world there um, tire, tirelessly because uh, he, had, he, had, he was living with that guilt of being against Christ. He probably felt like he had to, a lot to make up for. Anything else? All right, we'll end that for the official portion. Overcomers is brought to you by the tithes and offerings of our listeners. If you would like to support our ministry, please go to ChristianOvercomers.com. God bless you, and thank you for your support. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible sword. His truth is marching on.